Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. This is the Peddling Fiction Podcast, and I am the voice and soul of so-called fiction, the purveyor of the Peddling Fiction Podcast, your host, the one and only, Johnny Perfita. Actually, I think I have a cousin somewhere that goes by the same name. He doesn't put an H in there, though, which uh, I never trust those people that don't put the H in John. Johnny the Jew is the same way. A bunch of fucking weirdos. But anyways, uh, welcome back, everybody. It is Friday, finally. Love, love it when it's Friday, Friday afternoon, the day after Halloween. And my God, what an awful, awful Halloween that was, at least here in Chicago. Well, I guess it wasn't all bad. Wasn't all bad. I have some good news to report on the chili cook-off front. I have officially tied for first place with my arch nemesis, me and this guy. <laughs> me and this guy at work, we go back and forth every year. I think two years ago I won it with that easy pressure cooker chili I was talking about. It has like six or seven ingredients. You throw it in there and it's done in 30 minutes. And I won like two years ago. And then last year I tried to get all fancy with it. I lost and he won. And then he took second place the year before when I won. And then this year we tied each other. And we also go at it for the uh, pie baking competition. <laughs> he made some pies that we tied last year. Of course, I never actually, I don't bake. I, uh, I My girlfriend at the time was making the pies, but I managed to tie in that. So me and this guy are really duking it out for the best cook, I guess. Um, did not win the cornbread competition which I think is ridiculous. I didn't get to taste the cornbread that won, but it would have to be, I, I don't see how it could have beaten mine. My cornbread was a jalapeno cheddar brown butter cornbread with uh, chili lime butter, chili lime compound butter, okay? So what I did was I browned all the butter that went into the, um, the recipe I browned it first, which gives it like a nice nutty flavor. I diced up some jalapeno, took out the seeds so it wouldn't be spicy, and I, I cubed the cheddar so it had like pockets of, of cheddar throughout the thing. It was really delicious. It was moist, had a nice crumb. So I don't know. I don't know how I lost that one, but I do have one idea for next year, which will be to use probably some fire-roasted peppers or fire roasted chilies instead of just the fresh jalapeno I didn't think that really added much so maybe that's where I, I, I got beat I don't know we'll see but um 
Ooh, overall, just a terrible day. We got our first snow of the year, or the season here, not the year. It snowed earlier this year when winter was ending around probably April. God, Chicago's terrible. Um, so it snowed yesterday. It was like a wet snow. It was windy. It was gross, and I had to go into the office. I usually work from home now. I had to go into the office. So we did the chili cook-off thing. I won, tied for first place. That's great. Lost uh, the uh, cornbread thing, whatever. Um, and I stayed late to get some stuff done because the connection on my computer at work is a lot faster than when I'm remoting in. So I can get a lot more done there. And I ended up staying until about 5.30, even though technically I was done at 4.30. And I had this whole thing planned out. Earlier in the week, um, I went in on Monday to help out with a few things. And on Monday, I stopped in at the Chase branch, the main Chase branch on uh, Michigan Avenue, to order my pesos. I'm going to Mexico next week. Got to have some, some pesos, some walking around money. And it takes them a couple days. And I thought, oh, great, I'll be here Thursday for the chili cook-off. And I'll just pick up my pesos then. And, of course, I forgot... All about my goddamn pesos. Forgot to pick them up. The bank was closed after work. Um, and so now I got to go all the way back downtown before Wednesday, even though I have no reason to, other than just to get these pesos from the bank. <sighs> and to add insult to injury, when I walked, you know, probably about six or seven blocks to the red line stop, anybody who's not familiar with Chicago uh, public transportation system. The red line is probably the most popular train line. They call it the L. It's short for elevated train, right? The red line actually has portions of it that go underground along with the blue line, but they all have different colors, right? And the red line runs literally from as far south as you can imagine. 95th is where it stops, which you do not want to go down there if you value your life, but it's, it's practically Indiana. Okay. And it runs all the way from 95th to Evanston, which is a city North of Chicago. It goes into the heart of Evanston. Um, and basically in a straight line runs right through the heart of Chicago. Tons of people use it. It's how I get to work when I need to actually go into the office. And so, you know, I'm schlepping my, um, uh, my pan, my, my 13 by 9 pan for the, the, the uh, uh, cornbread. I've got a huge Tupperware that I use to carry my chili in. I've got like a week's worth of other Tupperware and plastic bags and stuff that I had at my desk that I thought, well, hey, I got this bag. I'm already carrying stuff. I might as well bring it home now. I got a bag full of stuff. Plus, I've got my laptop and all my work stuff because I'm commuting to and from the office. And I get there, and lo and behold, no northbound trains running right now. Now it is rush hour in Chicago on Halloween. It's now about 5.40-ish or so, and there are no trains going in my direction. No explanation, no warning about this. This is another thing I love about government-run uh, operations. They can't text you. They can't like send you an email or a little alert that says, hey, oh, hey, by the way, your way of getting home, it doesn't exist today. It doesn't exist. You know, you have to walk six blocks in the freaking snow. And, and then they just have somebody standing. They hire somebody to stand there and just yell at the top of their lungs, 
with no other answers, no other explanations, no nothing. How long is it going to be? They don't know. But all they know is that no southbound tra- or no northbound trains, no northbound trains, no northbound trains. They stand there like a carnival barker just yelling this out. Uh, oh, my God. It, it is so poorly managed. It's unbelievable. So I, along with thousands of other people, now have to – we have two choices, right? We can try to find a bus that, that takes us to where we need to go, or we can go – this is underground. This is the underground portion. Or we can go back up above ground to the elevated portion, and I can hop on the brown line, which is a much slower train. It's elevated, and it sort of weaves in and out around um, the buildings in downtown. It doesn't go underneath everything. So it's a lot slower moving. It's got more stops, but it still gets me to where I need to be. And apparently it gets a lot of other people to where they need to be because anybody else who was going northbound on the red line, um, their only other train, possible train transportation is this brown line stop that's just above the street. And of course, there is now a line the, for anybody not familiar, we have these elevated platforms, right? And there's huge, long platforms. They can hold, like, hundreds of people. And then there are stairs down to the sidewalk. And the line of people, I've never seen this before. There was a line of people to get onto the platform. It was all the way, the whole platform was full. There was a line down the stairs, and it was, like, half a block long on the sidewalk. People standing in the snow. Oh, God. So I, I look at that, and I'm carrying all my stuff, and I said, fuck that. I will, try, I will, walk, <laughs> I will walk to the, the next stop and see if I can see if there's less people there. I can at least get on the platform. I'm going to be here all night if I don't do this. Maybe I'll catch a bus or something. So I just start walking, okay? And I walk to the next stop. No trains running there. And then I go, so I walk to the next brown line stop, which is like, um, Miles away, my maybe a mile and a half away. I, I walk to that, and the, the the platform's just as ridiculous. It's we're we're talking. You'd have to sit on the platform for a half hour to have a chance to get onto a train, and every train that comes by is of course packed to the gills with people because they haven't increased the number of brown line trains running, even though the brown line train now has to pick up all of the red line train, the most popular train, all of their activities. So it's just a disaster. I ended up hopping on, walking to another bus stop, which was even farther west, and then taking that bus, which of course was full. I had to stand up on that, to another bus, and then... That bus, um, <laughs> that bus only only took me to uh, my street, which is Belmont. I still had to go about uh, sixteen blocks west of there, which is probably another mile and a half or so. And the, since it was Halloween, they had streets blocked off, and there was one bus that I could see off in the distance, and it was moving very slowly because it's rush hour. It's now. 6.30, it's been 6.45, it's been an hour and 15 minutes to, to get me to a place that usually takes about 25 minutes, something like that. And so I'm like, well, I can walk faster than that. I am a fast walker. And I start thinking to myself, I was like, well, I got to eat something. I'm going to have to pick up some dinner. Maybe if I, I could probably beat it to the, the nearest train stop, which is where the, I know that bus is going to stop in about 10 minutes. I can probably beat it there. Pick up some Chipotle 
and then hop on the bus and hopefully get home at a reasonable hour. Well, what do you think happened? <laughs> it's now pushing 7 o'clock. And, of course, there I was hoping there wouldn't be a line at Chipotle. And there was. There's about 10 deep of a bunch of morbidly obese people eating, ordering way too much food. And that, that was chaotic. And by the time I got out of there, the one bus that I could actually see, it was gone. It had already passed me by. So I'm walking again. And I'm looking behind me to see if there's a bus out in the distance, and there's not. And so I could either, I could try to take a cab or an Uber or something like that. I thought about that when I was downtown. They wanted $40 for an Uber, and I just said, the hell with it. I'm going to suffer through this and then complain about it on my podcast. (laughs) Um, But it's like a a 12-minute walk for me because I walk pretty fast. It's still snowing. It's gotten even colder now. It was probably about 15 or 20, maybe 15 degrees with the wind chill, maybe 20, something like that. Unpleasant, for sure. It was pretty windy. And still carrying all this stuff. And... um, So I was like, well, I could stand out here for another 20 minutes and wait for the next bus. Or I could walk and be home in like 12 with my food now. Um, So I did that. (laughs) I got home just in time to watch uh, some Monday night football. It was about a two-hour commute. It was a beautiful, beautiful day. And um, uh, that uh, that is Chicago, ladies and gentlemen. That is what we pay all these taxes to enjoy. Terrible weather, and on the first day that it snows in six months or so, uh, you know, the main train, the main train through town breaks down or something, and you're not given any explanation, no heads up about it. You're just kind of uh, shit out of luck. But anyway, that's enough about me and my complaints. Hopefully you all had a nicer Halloween than I did. What I wanted to talk to you all about today is, so we had, in Chicago, I normally don't talk about uh, local politics as much, but we did have a teacher's strike that had been going on for the last couple weeks, and I think we can extrapolate from this teacher's strike out through across the nation the lessons that are to be learned from this and all of the, the, the issues that, that um, we're facing here in Chicago are similar issues that can apply throughout the entire country. So you may have even seen Elizabeth Warren, Pocahontas, the fake Indian, out here in a show of solidarity with the Chicago Teachers Union when they were um, protesting. I guess we'll just forget about the fact that about, I don't know, 10 years ago or so, Elizabeth Warren wrote a book about how charter schools are, are the best option we have to help the poor and people of color. I guess, I guess that just goes out the window now that she's running for president. God, she is just such a slithery, slimy politician. She doesn't have a, a principled bone in her body. I cannot stand that woman. But what I want to talk about today in relation to that is this mentality that we have in our society. And it's one of the more frustrating things of our culture that that it's led to all this over policing that we do and over regulation that we suffer from today and it's most definitely 
the number one hurdle that we as libertarians or anarcho-capitalists that we have to overcome. And it's this idea or this desire to completely eliminate all of the bad things that are going to happen in life. This idea that if we just government harder, if we just government more, all of our problems will be solved. You know, if we can just government enough, all of the problems of the world will magically disappear. <laughs> As if we don't have just enough problems here to work on. So, you know, there's this mentality that we always have to do something. Always. We, we, get, we better do something about that. There should be a law. Or we need to have some sort of program. Of course, regardless of whether it will be an effective program or not, because, you know, without this program, we can't possibly eliminate all the bad things, all the things that we're worried about. So we need to do something. Somebody needs to do something. And the way we measure politicians' successes or failures is by how much legislation they pass, which is just an awful way of looking at things. I can't roll my eyes hard enough when I hear people whose main critique of politicians is, oh, they, they haven't done enough. Oh, well, uh, what legislation did he pass? He hasn't passed any legislation. He didn't do anything. What has he ever done that, that, that's a mark of a good politician? Uh, I mean, that is a perversion of the role of government. That's the role that they've taken on that we should have never allowed them to adopt in the first place. This role of, you know, fixing things and doing things. If we are to have a government at all, it should really only be doing two things. National defense and securing your God-given rights. And that's it. But see, you know, these politicians who are getting filthy rich off this scam that they've created, they have to appeal to you, the voter, who's going to put them into power so that they can get rich or they can continue to get rich. And in order to do that, they have to be able to point to something and say, see, I did this. I did this for you. Look at all these great things that I did. Look at all this legislation. I passed this bill and I passed that bill and ah, blah, 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 blah. When in reality, they didn't do anything good at all. They've provided no value to society by, in fact, by passing legislation and passing laws, all they've done is made you less free. And they somehow convinced you that you're more free and safer in the process. But since politicians can't provide any tangible value, they have to fight and fall over one another to pass bigger and bolder legislation because that's what they've taught the public to look for and value in them rather than valuing a politician who does nothing, who does nothing to add to the size of government, who doesn't pass more legislation that makes us less free, who actually maybe, God forbid, shrinks the size of the state. That's probably why I, I always joke that William Henry Harrison is, is the best president we've ever had. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, he died from pneumonia like a month into his first term, so he couldn't get anything done. It was perfect. I wish every president would just die after 30 days. And then we wouldn't have any problems. <laughs> um, but that's what we should all want. We, we, should want. we shouldn't want politicians trying to do stuff for us, trying to do things. 
because for one thing, they can't. They will always fail miserably. But even their failed attempts have to come at the expense of someone else. So there's always a loss involved in anything that they do. So what we need to do as a society is we need to get away from this mentality that the mark of a good politician is one who is getting stuff done, okay? No, no, they do horrible things left and right. We don't want them doing anything. What we want is gridlock in Washington. That's what we should strive for. And we need to come to terms with the fact that no matter how hard we government or how hard we try, that you can't, I mean, you could have total government. We could live in uh, prison cells like prisoners, and you can't, you still can't possibly eliminate all the bad things in society. We can't even do it in the prisons that we maintain now. It doesn't work that way. There are always going to be bad things, okay? The way to minimize the bad things in life that we experience is not to give unlimited power to a bunch of sociopaths that can take complete control over every aspect of our lives. The way to minimize bad things is to incentivize people to solve problems. You see, the government has no incentive. Uh, They will exist regardless of outcome. Why? Because they have a legalized monopoly on the use of force, as I always talk about, and an apathetic propagandized electorate. It's pretty much that simple. They will always be able to take something from somebody to keep the scheme going. You know, yeah, sure, they need to get reelected every couple of years, but so what? So what? The system is set up for the incumbent to get reelected. It's like 90% of the time the incumbent gets reelected. All they have to do is really blame the other team, promise to steal more stuff from somebody else on your behalf, from you know whatever evil minority of the population that they can think of, they just have to appeal to the majority of people and fool enough of you into voting them back into office. And of course, it's not like you're given a ton of options. The way they've been able to set everything up, you essentially have two choices for who controls you. And there's practically, substantively, no difference between the two. I know, I know they've convinced you that it seems like you're choosing between Hitler and Mother Teresa or between Mao Zedong and Thomas Jefferson. But when you really break it down, your choices are Coke and Pepsi, you know, original recipe or extra crispy. I mean, think about it. Think about the differences between these two parties. We went from Barack Obama to Donald Trump, okay? As far as people go or as far as leaders go, They could not be more different. They are polar opposites of each other. One is a prim, proper, well-spoken, smooth, you know, presidential, proper figure with a wife, two kids, and a dog, okay? The other is a crass, shit-talking, billionaire cartoon character that's been divorced several times. He's on, like, his third supermodel wife. He's banging porn stars on the side. I mean, they could not be more different. And even though these two guys could not be farther apart ideologically and just as human beings, okay, regardless, 
we get the exact same government under both of them. I mean, doesn't that make you question this whole system? Like, what are we doing here? Despite what the hysterical media will have you believe, these administrations, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, have far more in common with each other than they do differences. Basically the same exact foreign policy, the same exact immigration policy, ever-increasing levels of spending. I mean, if you thought it was bad when Barack Obama doubled the national debt to like $18 trillion, Trump is increasing the debt faster than he did. We're at $23 trillion and counting in just three years. I mean, the cancer of government is growing exponentially. Nothing ever changes. Nothing ever shrinks. Nothing ever goes away. They try and make a mountain out of a molehill by claiming, you know, Trump is making these drastic cuts to agencies like the EPA and the Department of Education. He's not. Okay, he's not. Anything his administration is actually doing amounts to about the equivalent of pruning back your hedges a little bit. They are cuts to the projected growth in the size of government, if anything. So instead of getting 10% bigger every year, government gets 7% bigger. And that's, you know, in unbelievable cuts to government. No, no, it's still unsustainable growth of a cancer. Okay, and no matter what happens, no matter who is in charge, you still get the same circle of insiders heading up all of these agencies. Trump, this outsider who is going to drain the swamp, had the exact same appointees to every position you could possibly think of of importance, like the Federal Reserve, the CIA. He had the exact same appointees as if Lindsey Graham had won the election. Okay, and no matter how big of a disaster everything is, Government never changes, and it never gets smaller, and it never goes away. You see, government never gets judged by the outcome of something they do or some policy they implement. It's never about the outcome. They only get judged by their stated intentions, if you can believe that. Okay? And what's worse, they're actually incentivized to make matters worse because it validates their existence. Government brags about how many people are on food stamps or in need of affordable housing or some other subsidy. This is what they do. And this, according to their logic, proves that we need them. See, look. Look at all these people on disability. Look at all these people that can't put food on their table. That's why we need this program or that's why we need that program now more than ever. Look at all these people in need. There is no incentive to actually fix people's situation because then they'd have less of a problem to solve and no reason to exist. The market, the beauty of the market that I'm trying to hammer into everyone's heads these days is it's exactly the opposite situation. It doesn't matter what your stated intentions are. You get judged by the final product, by the type of service you're providing, and that's it. Private charities, they, instead of bragging about how many people are on the doles, they brag about how many people they can get out of poverty. They point to success stories, how many people they've helped claw their way back into not needing them anymore. That's what they brag about. And if you're not producing something of value in the marketplace, you go away, which is a beautiful thing. That's what profits are telling you. 
Profits are telling you you're doing a good thing. People value what you're doing. And if you're losing money and you go out of business, that's society's way of telling you, yeah, you know, we don't really care for what you're doing or you're doing a terrible job of doing it. So get the hell out of here. You go out of business. You get replaced by someone who can do it better, who can meet that need better, more efficiently, who can help more people at a lower price. And we don't have to go through these elections and spend all this money to try to figure out who can do what the best way or and, and have people grandstanding. No, 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 no. They have to prove it to us. They have to offer us something. And there's no pomp and circumstance or whatever. They just do it. And it's beautiful. And they don't have to take from you or take from your neighbor by force to accomplish anything. Since we value what they're doing, we will give to their cause voluntarily, which is why the results matter, because they can't just force us to support them the way governments can. They have to constantly validate their existence and fend off competition by being better, constantly being better. They don't just get to go up to a podium and pander to people and lie through their teeth about all the great things they're going to do. That would be pointless in a free market. They just go out and do it, and the results speak for themselves. If government fails, it gets bigger. It gets more money. Oh, you know, we just need more money. That's why this program failed. That's why this wasn't a huge success. You just got to give us more. You, You see, they're incentivized to fail because if they can demonstrate a need and then show that they were inept in meeting those needs... Then they get more money, a bigger budget, higher salaries, better benefits, all while doing nothing beneficial to society. And when they get more money and they fail some more, they inevitably ask for more. They ask for more, and to add insult to injury, they find some ridiculous way to blame all their failures on the free market, even though it's socialism that's really failing. And we keep giving it to them. We're, we're such lemmings. We're such whipped little lemmings that we just keep letting them take it. And that's why markets will always succeed and governments will always fail. And it's really almost that simple. And you see this everywhere. Education is the perfect example. We spend more today per student than we ever did before the Department of Education came into existence. Which, by the way, was not that long ago, okay? We're talking about the 70s. So I don't know how you explain the the hundreds of years before 1970 that this country was at 200 years. Okay, how did anybody learn to read and write? How did we build the greatest country the world had ever seen without the Department of Education? Okay, we spend now more today per student by a long shot than was ever spent before that department came into existence. And look at what the government school system is producing. A bunch of idiot socialist kids with meaningless, worthless liberal arts degrees and gender studies majors. I mean, look at the test scores. There is no correlation between higher education spending and better education. Think back to the older people you know, your parents, your grandparents. They're far better educated than the kids are today. Look, you can go online. You can go online and try and take one of those old grade school level exams from like the 1930s or the 1870s, stuff like that. You can do this. You can go take an eighth grade test from 1930 and see how you do. 
chances are you'll fail miserably. Even if you have a college degree, I mean, maybe not my listeners, the listeners of this show, since you're at least smart enough to know to listen to the Peddling Fiction podcast. But the vast majority of people today would fail miserably, couldn't pass an eighth grade test. And if you have kids today, compare the, the tests that your kids are taking with the tests that the kids had, their age had to take uh, in the 1930s, okay? It, it is really unbelievable. There's the level of standards, how far they have dropped since the government has taken control of this. But you don't even have to do that if you don't want to, okay? You just look at the various schools today. Washington, D.C. has the highest level of spending per pupil. And you know, shockingly, of course they do, where all the power flows through. Why wouldn't they get the most money for education? And they have the most abysmal test scores. <laughs> their, their public school system is unusable. That's why Barack Obama, uh, Donald Trump, all, all these presidents send their kids to private school. They, they have, D.C. has the worst schools in the country with the most money. So what's the problem here, right? Obviously, they just need more money, right? Yeah, okay. So the, in the news this week around here, the Chicago Teachers Union just ended a strike that had been going on for, I think, 11 days, something like that. Maybe a little longer, I can't remember. And now I know I've talked about collective bargaining before on the show, and I can go over that real quickly right here if we want, because in theory... I don't see anything wrong with it. I, I, there is nothing wrong with collective bargaining. It is a free market principle, a right of workers to collectively bargain. I have no problem with that in theory. However, there are some caveats to that. Okay, First of all, if you support collective bargaining, you have to support the right of any worker to refuse to join that union, okay? It is your right to collectively bargain, and it is their right to say, you know what? No, I don't want to do that, all right? And secondly, if you are in favor of collective bargaining, of the worker's right to organize and unionize and make demands of their employer, that's fine. But you also have to support the right of the employer to fire every last one of them and hire new people. I mean, that, that's just collective bargaining 101, okay? That is their right as the employer. It is their company. Their capital created those jobs. They own those jobs. You do not. You, the worker, do not own those jobs, despite what some politician will tell you. You know, people seem to think that since they work at a company for a long time, that they somehow own that job or that they've made some sort of investment in the company. You hear this all the time from politicians and union workers. I've worked here. I've invested 20 years of my life at this company, and they owe me this or they owe me that. No, no, sorry. It doesn't work that way. You didn't invest anything, okay? You didn't buy shares in that company. You made a deal with the employer to trade your time and your labor for a salary. That's it. Okay. Now, had you bought stock in that company, then you would have been an investor in it and you would have been hopefully paid a dividend or something like that for investing in it. But just simply working there is not an investment or an ownership stake whatsoever, unless that's part of your contract. In fact, 
you've got it bass backwards, okay? The company has invested in you. The company has invested time in training you and preparing you for whatever it is you're doing, and they've taken a good deal of risk in doing so. Because here's the thing. You as, and this is the insane thing to me, um, you as the employee, after they've trained you, invested all this time in training you, and they are depending on you to do that job, you can just wake up one morning and decide, no, I don't want to do that anymore and just walk out on them. And they have no recourse, which is fine, but we don't treat companies the same way. The companies, in order to fire you, they have to jump through hoops. They have to show a pattern of misbehavior or document how they gave you 25 chances to do your job right, and they've exhausted every available option and given you every available chance to try and improve before they can have a just cause to fire you as if you have a right to work at that company. You don't. They should be able to fire you for any reason they want. And I've had to do that. I've had to do this with employees. We put them on what's called performance improvement plans. <laughs> okay? We have to prove that they can't perform and it takes months and tons of time and tons of work and all these meetings, these awkward meetings. It's a disaster. And when all the time you and the as the employee can just wake up one day and give no notice, and leave the company high and dry. It, it's ridiculous. You can't have that, that kind of double standard. All right. If the employee has that right to walk out, which they should, I'm all in favor of that, then you as the employer should have that same right. You shouldn't lose your rights simply because you hire somebody. Okay. And now that is not to say that companies hold all the power, okay, because they don't. That's another major misconception that's making the rounds today and that's being perpetuated by all these politicians pandering to you. If you are a valuable employee, you have a tremendous amount of power. And the more skills you acquire, the more job knowledge you acquire, the more bargaining power you will have with your company. It's one of the great things about working for a company is that while they are investing in you and they're training you and teaching you all these new skills, hopefully they're skills that are applicable to other fields, to other jobs as well. But all while that's going on, you're getting paid. So you're getting paid to learn something. The company gets your labor while you're working there, but you get to keep those skills forever. And you can make yourself indispensable to that company if you play your cards right. You can make it so they couldn't fire you even if they wanted to. This is why you have to constantly be trying to increase your value to your employer and by extension, the marketplace, so that you always have an option of walking out that door if they don't meet your demands. Sure, you know, they could fire you for any reason, but they can't because the company can't function without you. You can't be replaced. That's what you should strive for, and that's why I'm not a huge fan of collective bargaining. I, yeah, sure, it's, it's, it's allowed. It's, it may be a necessary function, but I just think it helps the lowest-performing employees at the expense of the better ones. There may be a time and place for it, but certainly not in areas where the government is running the show, like what we see here in Chicago with the teachers' union. And education in general, where government's running education, the employees are collectively bargaining 
with people who don't have to pay any of the salaries and any of the benefits that they're bargaining for. They don't have to bear any of the brunt from these collective bargaining deals. It is us, it is you and me, Joe Sixpack, the taxpayers, who have to suffer to meet their demands. Lori Lightfoot, who is the, uh, the mayor here in Chicago, the new mayor, the first LGBTQ mayor and a woman and a woman of color. It's all these wonderful things. We're so thrilled to have her. Um, but for some reason, uh, that, none of that really played a role here in these collective bargaining agreements. They, they didn't seem to care about that. Teachers union, not interested in the fact that she's uh, LGBT, whatever. They didn't seem to care. They still had their demands and their demands need to be met. And Lori Lightfoot will be out of office before the ramifications of these deals actually come to fruition. That is, if she's lucky. If she's as lucky as all the other mayors that have come and gone before her. She's, you know, she's late to the party, okay? They are, they are already out of dodge, the ones that have driven this, this city into uh, a, a budget deficit that is so deep, it would blow your mind. But now she has to deal with the mess that they've left behind from decades of ridiculous, corrupt deals with these unions. Deals that the government made with these teachers, knowing full well there would be no way to pay for them, but that it would it wouldn't matter because it would be somebody else's problem. Somewhere down the line, they'd be out of office, nothing for them to actually worry about. They'll get their pension problem solved as far as they're concerned. It is incredible what these teachers and these education administrators think they're entitled to. These teachers who have produced the worst results you can imagine as far as education is concerned. Here, th This is from uh, IllinoisPolicy.org. This is an article that was talking about all of the demands that the teachers' union was, was making. Okay, this is why they went on strike. This is what they're asking for, right? Chicagoans are facing an expensive list of demands, including higher wages, wages that the data shows have been growing far faster than the pay of the taxpayers who fund them. Union officials are stopping work over higher salaries, lower health care costs, lower class sizes, 55 new community schools, thousands of additional support staff, affordable housing, and much, much more. The extra salary expense, additional support staff, and new community schools alone would cost the average property taxpayer at least $235 more compared to the mayor's offer costing $13 more if the new contract were solely paid through property taxes. Nearly 60% of college-educated Chicago workers earn less than the median Chicago teacher salary of $75,000. That's the median Chicago teacher salary, seventy-five grand a year. Not bad, considering they only work nine months out of the year. Data from the U.S. Census Bureau shows... Oh, that's, that's from the U.S. Census Bureau, sorry. Um, also, since the recovery of the Great Recession began in 2009, if you can call it that, the median Chicago teacher salary has grown 75% faster than the median salary for all Chicago workers. Because of automatic annual pay increases based on seniority, a newly hired teacher in 2009 would have seen their annual salary grow from 56561 to $102,116 today. 
that's an 81% increase in just 10 years, a rate of growth practically unheard of in the private sector. Uh, yeah. Anybody else listening to this show? Anybody have an 81% increase in their salary over the last 10 years? I know I haven't. I know I haven't. I bet my taxes have gone up by 81%. Absolutely. Uh, Chicago Teachers Union demands show callous disregard for taxpayers. During the past 10 years, property tax collections at Chicago public schools have grown twice as fast as the median household income, while CPS, Chicago Public Schools, debt has grown six times faster than residents' income. This means that taxpayers are being asked to pay even more to fund salary and benefits most could never hope to receive in their own jobs. This is what they're asking for. And what's worse, the people hurt most by CTU's unreasonable demands and decision to strike will be the 360,000 Chicago students who will now miss instructional days, blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah, it's always about the children. Now, um, that's, that's where we were, okay? And they just agreed to this deal. Um, who knows what other demands they tacked on top of it. Of course, there are people out there who are worried about the students as if they're receiving a great education from these teachers who are also, by the way, claiming that they're going on strike because it's all about the children. You know, think of the children. We want the best. We want what's best for the children. Yeah, right. It's all about the children as long as they get three months off, lifelong pension, health care benefits, and you increase their salaries at astronomical rates regardless of their performances. These are the same people who claim that education is a human right, okay? Or a human right, if you're Bernie Sanders, a human right, human. Well, okay, if you're so concerned about the poor children, how can you go on strike like this and deprive them of their basic human right, their basic human right to education? How can you do that? Over what? Over what? Over a raise? Over the almighty dollar? Or you want some more counselors or some increased pension benefits? That's why you're depriving them of their human right? I, I thought you weren't greedy. I, I thought those corporations were greedy. You were the pious ones. If it were really about the kids and you are all these principal, upstanding citizens, wouldn't you forego that raise? forego a few extra bucks in your pocket so that the school can afford to hire more counselors, can afford to hire more teachers so the class sizes aren't too big? I mean, do you really need an 81% increase in 10 years? Couldn't you do with like a 60% increase, something like that? Shouldn't you derive enough satisfaction from teaching and shaping the minds of future generations that money doesn't matter? Shouldn't you just be happy being a teacher and not worry about what your compensation is? I mean, think of the children. Think of the children. Or better yet, if it's a human right, as you guys always claim, shouldn't you be providing it for free? Why should someone have to pay your salary and your pension benefits and your health care for the rest of your life in order to get a human right? Uh, how does that work? <laughs> you see how this breaks down? Education as a human right? That's as retarded an idea as the mindless drones these school systems are producing. Lemmings who know nothing, who have no skills, some of whom can't even read and write, 
let alone do basic arithmetic. I mean, let's, uh, let's all sit back and think of all the things we learned in school that were such valuable lessons, we use them in our everyday lives. <laughs> okay, anything? Anybody got anything? Other than reading and writing, which they can't even get that down anymore. The liter- literacy rates in inner cities is pathetic. Okay, but of course it's not their fault. Uh, they just need more money. Okay, the rest of us, the taxpayers footing the bill for all this, we're the ones that have to sacrifice. We have to pay more. We have to pay more property taxes, more sales taxes, more excise taxes. We have to go without. We have to live on less. But oh no, 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 not them, not the teachers. God forbid, not the teachers. When it comes time for them to sacrifice a little bit, and by a little bit, I mean very, very little. They already only work nine months out of the year, get every major holiday off. They're done working at three o'clock. If they don't feel like teaching or they went out partying the night before and are hungover, they can just turn off the lights and put on a movie and everyone is beyond happy, okay? No, no. When it comes time for them to live on less, for them to go without, for them to sacrifice, they go on strike. They refuse to work. And of course, it's not about the children. It was never about the children, as they claim. It's about them and them getting everything that they want. No exceptions. No compromise. It's despicable. And when I see people, you know, average, everyday working people supporting these teachers' unions, it really makes me sick. The level of unawareness of the situation, how they're being taken advantage of and manipulated... To support this insanity, oh, it hurts my heart. It really does. The level of propaganda in support of just inept, ineffective institutions, education, and teachers is off the charts. I mean, if I'm in charge of these negotiations, I would take a look at the test scores and the literacy rates and any other measurement of quality education performance and go, why? Why would we give you more money? You clearly suck at what you're doing. Okay? Now, obviously not all of you. Not every teacher is terrible. I'm sure there are some good ones out there. I actually know some very good teachers. And I'm sure not all of them even wanted to go on strike. So I don't want people to think that I'm just lumping everyone together. But, I mean, the 80-20 rule at least applies. And it's probably more like 90-10 if we're talking about government-run institutions here. But how are we supposed to know? You're all compensated the same. You're all in this union. They'd have to explain to me why I don't cut their pay, why I don't cut their funding, because they suck at their jobs. And I can look around at all these other schools and other states and see that their teachers are being paid less and they're doing a better job. So why shouldn't we cut your pay until you start to show some improvement? Oh, then, of course, you know, we'd have millions of excuses as to why it's not actually their fault that they suck. Oh, okay. Yeah. Could you imagine if the situation was reversed and the private sector was providing education with these types of results where uh, half the kids aren't graduating, they can't read by the time they're in eighth grade? Uh, the outcry you would hear from politicians and the public in general, they would be picketing, rioting, boycotting, you name it railing about how the government needs to step in and fix this mess. But no, no, 
not when the government's in charge of the disaster. Then, of course, they just need more money. And if you don't want to give it to them, you hate children. You're anti-education. They aren't the greedy ones like those evil corporations, those evil companies. They aren't inefficient. They, they mean well, and that's just that, that's all that, that matters, right? They just need a little more money. After all, look at all these problems we have to deal with. We have too many kids, not enough teachers, we can't afford supplies, excuse after excuse after excuse. And the money just keeps flowing. And we're not the greedy ones, we're not incompetent, we just need more of your money. That's all. And we buy this. Hook, line, and sinker. People buy this story. And then they fight private schools and charter schools coming into existence with every fiber of their being. And I'm sure they're against school vouchers and school choice. Another instance of the left not being pro-choice unless it comes to killing babies. Because they're worried that more charter schools and competition, which we know in virtually every other instance, every case, they outperform these public schools. They embarrass them in test scores, graduation rates, literacy rates, all that stuff. We know that they're worried that more competition would mean less funding for them. And that right there proves everything you need to know. If they are worried about funding going toward alternative education, alternative means of educating kids, that implies that they have an inferior product and they know it. That they know that they can't do as good of a job as these other schools. And if we leave it up to choice, people will take their dollars elsewhere. So they want us to keep pumping money into this broken system that clearly sucks instead of this other system that we know would be much, much better. Because, you know, of course, it's about the children after all, right? Yeah, forgive me if I don't believe that. What they're really saying is no, no, no. We want to make sure that we can continue being bad, continue being bad at what we do, and not only not face repercussions for being bad, but we want to be rewarded for it. We need to be we need to be compensated more, rewarded for our incompetence, rewarded for doing mediocre jobs or failing students miserably. And now we have all this common core curriculum, okay? You ever seen the convoluted, retarded ways they try to teach math to kids now? It's no wonder these kids can't add and subtract. Try watching one of those videos, Common Core, teach, teaching you how to do multiplication and division. It's ridiculous. The whole curriculum, the entire way, our entire approach to educating kids is terrible. Just this instruction. It's, it's all based on this Prussian model that was designed to just create obedient drones that wouldn't flee the battlefield. But they, they never teach you anything of value. You know, like Think about taxes, right? They ever teach you how to pay your income taxes correctly? You might think, hmm, you know, here's a, an illegal, unconstitutional, immoral thing that we're going to force all of these kids to do in order to pay our absorbent salaries and keep this enormous government afloat so they can bomb third world countries and lock people in cages for victimless crimes. <laughs> all right, well, they, they might not put it like that. Might not put it in that way or they'd start having lemmings thinking for themselves and questioning the system. But in all seriousness, here's a thing that you have to do every year by law, under penalty of imprisonment, our whole republic depends on you paying your taxes, right? Who's going to build the roads? And if you don't do it right, if you fill out something wrong, you go to jail. <laughs> okay. 
any of it ever covered in class? Once? Any of it? No. Nada. Not interested in any of that. Oh, that's right. I just I just read an article today. Texas curriculum just added a bunch of mandatory classes to teach kids about transvestites and gender reassignment and gay butt sex. <laughs> okay. Thank God for that. Thank God they have all their priorities straight. They they deserve a raise. Give those teachers a raise. That curriculum, fantastic. Doing the Lord's work. <laughs> you see, teachers, as teachers, particularly in government-run education and, and controlled curriculum, there is really a limited amount of value that they can create. Think back to the beginning of the show or the earlier part of the show where I was talking about creating value for society, creating value for your employer. Um, as a teacher, you teach your subject, and that's about it. There's a, limit, there's a limit to that. Beyond your subject, you can't really provide increased value to the employer, and therefore, you shouldn't get a raise. You, you teach English, and that's it. You teach English. Uh, there's, there isn't much more you can do to provide extra value except maybe teach more students. More and more students. Other than that, how can you increase the value to the employer? You can't teach other things. You teach English. That's what you do. And of course, these teachers' unions demand the exact opposite. They want to be able to provide even less value than they already are and be paid more for it. They want fewer students, increased benefits, more time off, and they want increased salaries on top of all of that. For creating less value, they want more money. That's how government works, the polar opposite of a market-based economy. They're trying to extract more from the taxpayer than the teachers are actually worth. And the bottom line is that this whole system is already falling apart. As I talked about in the last episode, system failure. People are fleeing cities like Chicago, Los Angeles, New York. Because the taxes to pay for all these unionized government employees and all their lifelong benefits are ridiculously high. Trump's moving his residence to Florida. I don't blame him. And Chicago, I mean, give me a break. I, I spent the first 10 minutes of this show talking about how terrible it is here. This city is so fucking overrated. It's unbelievable. I think people just try and talk themselves into liking it. Like if they just tell themselves the lie over and over again about how great it is it'll somehow come true, or they'll start believing it. I mean, not only are parts of Chicago more dangerous than Afghanistan, but the weather sucks, it's freezing cold nine months out of the year, the roads are trashed, they're constantly under construction. We basically have two seasons, winter and construction. The traffic is terrible, it's overcrowded, it's expensive. They just increased our state income tax again. We have the highest sales tax in the country, at 10.25%. And the second highest property taxes in the country after, I think, New Jersey. But I think that's probably changing now because of this new teachers union deal. Okay, I think we're number three in the top 10 list of the biggest budget deficits in the country. And the so-called solutions that these politicians come up with, uh, we're just going to increase taxes some more. Increase the property taxes even more. Create additional excise taxes. There's no limit to what these guys want to tax. That, that's Pritzker's brilliant new plan. He's the governor over here, for anybody not familiar with Pritzker. He's got 19 new, new and improved taxes. That's going to fix everything. Yeah, yeah, this is his big plan, okay? This is his 
fair tax hike. Okay, he's got a fair tax hike that's going to create $3.4 billion. Okay, a tax on managed care organization, tax on, on sports gambling, recreational cannabis, retailer tax hike, video gaming, uh, video gambling tax hike, a cigarettes tax hike, plastic bags, e-cigarettes, gas, vehicle registrations, uh, ride sharing, streaming, internet streaming video tax, beer, wine, liquor tax, that's going up, video game terminal tax, it's going to cap the tax exemption for traded in property, parking garage tax, real estate transfer tax hike, electric vehicle registration tax fee hike, uh, the list goes on and on. This is their solution to the problem. Oh, just give us more money. Just give us more money. Like hell I will. The hell with that. I'm out of here, okay? I'm already angling to move to Puerto Rico where I won't have to pay any of this stuff. None of this federal income tax or capital gains whatsoever. But these guys are getting rich at our expense while they run our cities into the ground. And I, for one, have had it. And I'm not even one of these billionaires that everybody's talking about. But I know I'm not alone. People are fleeing Illinois in droves. And it's the earners. It's the earners who are the ones that are leaving. It's always the people who are getting robbed blind beyond belief who leave first. And these idiotic plans that politicians like Pritzker come up with just create a vicious cycle that feeds off itself. Raise taxes on the richest of the rich. They leave. All of a sudden, the tax revenue that they were depending on with their retarded assumptions that you can rob people blind and they'll just bend over and take it, well, that doesn't come to fruition. The money doesn't come in, so the budget shortfall gets even bigger. So now what do you do? Well, now you have to raise taxes some more or increase the number of people that are subject to the tax. Okay, And now it's not just the billionaires, but it's the millionaires too. And when they all leave and the problem gets even worse, then what do our brilliant wise overlords come up with as a solution? You guessed it, increase taxes. Except now... Now that all the millionaires and billionaires are gone, or they haven't left but they've rearranged their affairs to avoid the taxes, now they have to come for the rest of us, the middle class, the poor, the very people that they claim to be helping. Okay, They increase property taxes, they increase sales taxes, they increase all the regressive taxes that people can't avoid unless they leave. Except you know, the poor can't leave. They aren't in a position to leave. They aren't like the rich that can just pick up and leave. They're stuck. Everybody who can leave does. And all of a sudden, you have a city or a state or soon an entire nation of net takers. You have more people taking from the system than are putting into the system. This is happening on a state and local level, and it's beginning to play out on a national level as well. People are fleeing California in droves. California is literally on fire right now without power. It's a perfect metaphor for America. This liberal ideology has run the state into the ground. They have the largest homeless population in the country. Entire tent cities are popping up everywhere. People are living in complete squalor, shitting in the streets. Archaic diseases we once thought were eradicated have reemerged. I guess, you know, leave it to the government to not only not solve problems and exacerbate the ones that already exist, but to take problems that we had already fixed, problems that were already solved, and bring them back to life. 
thank you very much. They have water shortages, power shortages. It's a complete disaster over there. And all of this from the state that claims to have all the solutions to help the poor. If we just implement all their brilliant ideas, we can solve hunger, poverty, housing, you name it. Implement their uh, progressive ideology and all their policies and we'll usher in a new era of prosperity. Except the fact that it hasn't even worked on a state level. In fact, it's been a complete disaster, an utter failure. California has a GDP that's larger than most countries. It's like the 13th largest GDP in the world or something like that, and it's in shambles. It can't even house its own citizens. Chicago, New York, New Jersey, they're not far off. And you and I and my generation, we're going to be the ones left holding the bag when this all comes crumbling down. You know, my neighbors growing up, I'll leave you all with this story. The family that lived a few doors down from me, both of the parents were involved in education. The father was a principal in some inner city school, I can't remember the name of it, and the mother taught French. The father also worked nights at one of our local grocery store chains. That paid him a pension. And he also served in the military, so that was another pension. So he's got the pension from the grocery store, the pension from the military, and the pension from the Chicago public schools. He is now retired. He's retired pulling in three pensions. He's making more in retirement than he ever made in any year while he was actually working. Think about that. Think about that. And on top of that, he's collecting Social Security, as is his wife and her public school pension. So between the two of them, they have at least four pensions that I know of and Social Security benefits for the both of them. And they're living like kings. They're living like kings. Do you know where they are right now? While you're slaving away at your 9 to 5 to try to make just enough money to scrape by, maybe pay off some of your student loans, your rent or your mortgage payment, and while the rest goes towards funding the government Ponzi scheme and Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, sales tax, state income tax, federal income tax, alcohol tax, ride-sharing tax, vehicle tax, Obamacare tax, entertainment tax, video game tax, parking garage tax, real estate transfer tax, plastic bag tax, cigarette tax, electronic cigarette tax, online video streaming tax, gambling tax, capital gains tax, and I don't know, God knows what else. While you're working your ass off trying to create a better life and hopefully save for your future, because none of us, nobody my age, none of these bankrupt programs are going to be around when it comes time for you and I to retire. That's just a fact. It's literally impossible to keep this scheme going much longer. But while you're working and having more than half of your income stolen from you to fund these pensions and all these retirees who are living laps of luxury, do you know where my neighbors are today? They're vacationing in the south of France. They're sitting back, sunning themselves a while, enjoying a glass of expensive French wine and eating a croissant. They've probably been there for the last six months or so. And you and I are paying for lifestyles. The chances are we will never get to enjoy ourselves, just like we're paying for teachers' salaries that we're never going to get to enjoy ourselves. 
and you won't get as much as a thank you letter or a postcard in the mail. All you're going to get is the next generation of teachers and the next generation of government workers using the power of the government to reach into your pocket a little more, a little deeper, because they think that they're entitled to vacation in the south of France on your dime as well. It is long past time we put a stop to this madness. We have to stop looking to government to solve problems for us. We need to let the free market usher in a new era of prosperity. That is the only chance that we have. Guys, if you like the show today, I need you to do a couple favors for me. The first, as always, is continue to listen, download, and subscribe. Please go give me a rating and review on iTunes, five stars if you think the show is worth it. And share the show with your friends. I always ask that you share it with at least two people. And of course, if you always want to go above and beyond the call of duty, go to peddlingfictionpodcast.com and you can donate to the show from there. Every dollar you donate goes right back into building this brand, increasing our reach, and creating content. Follow me on Twitter at PedalFiction. And if you can do all that, I will keep coming back to spread the message of liberty. Until then, just remember to keep on peddling that so-called fiction.